John 9, 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and take a seat. Welcome. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us tonight. We will be in John 9 tonight, which Hannah just read for us. We are continuing in our series called Encountering Jesus, where we are searching for answers for life and from Scripture as we read True Encounters with Jesus. We're reading the accounts of real people, historical people coming in contact with God in the flesh, Jesus. And as we see their encounters with Jesus, we learn something about the nature of God, but we also can relate to the questions that they're asking, and we can find answers for us as well. Tonight, as we just read in the story, Jesus has an encounter with someone who is suffering. Suffering is something that unites us all. It is the most common of human experiences. It unites all of us. And I'm not just talking about Penn State fans today that are suffering. It's larger than that. All of us experience suffering. It's interwoven into every aspect of life, yet seems like a surprise every time we encounter suffering. It's so deep and wide and connected to all of life that we cannot escape it. So we need real answers, real embodied answers to these very real questions. Uh, Theological trite statements or philosophical ponderings are not enough to answer our questions of suffering. Tonight we see in this scripture that Jesus comes with a complex answer to the complex reality of our suffering. Mainly, he comes and gives us himself. Would you pray with me as we open the scriptures together? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. Thank you that you are not silent, but you have spoken through your word and your spirit and your people. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak now. God, I do not have the ability to know what everyone here is experiencing tonight, but God, you do. The one who made each one of us, the one who breathed his breath into us, the one who has breathed life into us, you have something to say to us tonight, Father. And we know that you're a good Father, and you have something to say to us tonight. God, wherever we find ourselves now, we pray that you would help us as we suffer, as we struggle. God, give me your words to speak, and we pray that you would be the balm that each needs to hear tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we just read in John chapter 9, the first seven verses, we have a man who is born 
blind. We're just going to recap a little bit of what those verses say, and then we're going to take a look at some other verses. In these verses, we read the punchline from the very beginning. In verse 3, we read, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's what it's all about. That's what we are going to learn about suffering here tonight. But fortunately, there are 30 more verses in this chapter that give us more complex answers to our suffering. And unfortunately for you, there's 30 more minutes in this sermon to unpack those things. So we're going to unpack them together and we're going to see that Jesus has more than just a trite answer. Scripture continues to go through this chapter and tell what played out with this man. So in the first seven verses, we see there's a man born blind and the disciples of Jesus have a question. Their assumption is that this man born blind was born blind because of either the sin of his parents or his sin. They are making a direct correlation between either the man's parents' sin and his sin and his suffering. Now, before we cast stones at them, there's a couple of things that we need to confront, a couple of things that we need to talk about. The first one is that they are just carrying out the ancient Jewish belief that your suffering was connected to your sin or the sin of your parents. There are multiple scriptures in the Old Testament that say that our iniquities will visit our children and our children's children, and they made a direct correlation between there and suffering. So they are simply saying what Jews throughout time until this point had said, that our suffering is directly connected to a sin committed by us or by our family. Also, before we cast stones, we need to realize that often— we have the same questions when we're confronted with suffering. We often, instead of running to empathy or sympathy or real theological answers, we jump immediately to, well, they must have done something wrong, or we must have done something wrong to deserve the suffering that we experience. A quick update, because it relates to what I'm talking about right now, Pastor Brooks is still down on his back. Uh, he's been down on his back for two weeks, um, and it would be easy, and some have told him, well, Brooks, why were you trying to lift that tree out of the back of your truck? Next time, ask for help, right? It's easy to jump straight to, well, what did someone do wrong to suffer their suffering? Instead of running to sympathy or empathy with what someone is going to through. So we see in this question a question that we and other religious people often have or assumptions we run to when there is suffering. Let's continue on to follow the story and up on the screen you will see verses 13 through 19. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he, had put, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? 
Again, we see these religious folks that are trying to litigate where did this suffering come from? Where can we find the sin in the matter? See, suffering brings about questions. It brings about questions, profound questions about the nature of life and suffering and the nature of God's grace and mercy and his power and his ability to help in our situation. The questions that these Pharisees and Jesus' disciples have are often the similar questions to what we find. So we're going to take a look at some of the questions and some of the answers that the world has to offer and religious people and religion has to offer. So first, what does the world have to offer when it comes to the answer for suffering? And the answer is nothing. It is not even insufficient. I want to be charitable and say that it is at least insufficient, but actually it is just not there. There are not solid explanations for why we suffer. They're logically inconsistent with the other things people believe, so people are left saying, we don't know. We just don't know. We can't understand suffering. If you go home later tonight and, and type into Google, meaning in suffering, just type that in, meaning in suffering, the first six pages of results will all be answers from Scripture or from Christianity. I don't know if you've ever typed such a question into Google, but finding six pages that come up first with Christian answers is not typically what you find, right? It's because the world does not have sufficient answers to suffering. The diagnostic manual, the DSM for uh, mental health professionals, they're out with their fifth or sixth edition now, and it continues to add diagnostics for diagnosing mental health struggles that people are going through. And it's a helpful diagnostic tool, but the manual keeps getting bigger and bigger because it's not solving the problem. It's not answering for them or for us or those that are suffering why that person is suffering in the first place, and it does not offer healing. Just diagnostics. So we look to the world and we do not find answers. Some of the questions that come up when we don't find answers are questions such as, why do I suffer? Why do I have to suffer in the first place? Why do others suffer? Does God see what's going on here? Maybe he sees, but maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe he's aloof to my suffering. Or maybe he sees and he cares, but maybe he's powerless to do anything about it. We sang that he's a good father. We open up the scripture and see who he is. He seems powerful. He seems good. It seems like he cares. Maybe he can't do anything to intervene into our physical reality. These are the questions we start to have as we suffer and see the suffering of others. We start to think about the brevity of life. When we see those that pass before their time, we say, how short will my life be? And then we start to ask questions about grace and mercy. Can God really be merciful and gracious and a good father if he allows the suffering that I see in the world? So we're left with insufficient answers to these questions. So we turn to religion and religious answers. I've put a few religious answers to suffering that are insufficient up on the screen. First, we turn too quickly to sin. We are way too quick to point out and look for sin instead of acknowledging 
the suffering. Just like these disciples, just like the Pharisees, running to a direct correlation from someone's suffering to their sin. Next is sprinkling Jesus on people's suffering. Settling for trite statements and truisms and sayings like, well, at least they will be healed in the life to come. Or Jesus can bring meaning to our pain. Just trite sayings that may be true, but really is no profound answer to meet the profound question. These are things that religion and religious people often turn to. Often religious people try to minimize the reality, the embodied reality of people's suffering in order to maintain a big view of God. But the ironic thing is when we do this, we actually shrink our view of God. We start to think that maybe we are just made for the kingdom come and just made for heaven, and that's only where healing will happen. And so we start to believe in a God that does not intervene in this world in this life, in his creation. Next, we can miss Jesus in the controversy. As the disciples and the Pharisees and this man's parents are litigating, why was this man born blind? How is he blind? Where is the sin? Jesus steps out of the situation and he goes and finds the man, which we will take a look at in a few moments at the end of chapter 9. He finds the man born blind and he says, I've healed your physical sight, but now I'm going to heal you spiritually. In our suffering, in our theological minds where we're trying to piece it all together, in our philosophical ponderings, we often lose who Jesus really is and what he is trying to say in the midst of controversy around suffering. Lastly, we deal with religious doubt. Religious doubt. That we know who God is, but we're not sure he really wants to intervene in our life. We're afraid it depends on the measure of our faith. One concrete example for this is when we pray for our own healing or we pray for the healing of others and we tack on this phrase, but only if it be in your will. Now, this may come from a good place. We don't want to be presumptuous of what God's will is and we do want to try and pray according to God's will, but often it's a lack of faith. It's us hedging our faith. Where if God does intervene, great, miracle, God intervened. And if he doesn't, it's like, well, it must not have been God's will. And so we say these little trite things or we don't ask for healing at all. So we do not find answers to suffering in religion alone. The only real answers to the complexity and the profound nature of suffering is found in Jesus. He shows us and he tells us that he has done something about our suffering. So let's look at this story and see how he has shown us what he has done about suffering. A few things that Jesus shows us in this story. He creates, restores, foretells, and heals. First, he creates. Jesus healed Many people in a number of different ways in Scripture. Sometimes Jesus would touch them. Sometimes the people would touch Jesus. Sometimes he would just walk past them. Other times he would pray. Other times he would not pray. Sometimes he would heal one person and not the next person. Jesus healed in a number of different ways. So why does he choose this 
means for healing the man born blind. Remember what he does? He spits into the ground, or the translation that we read in North Liberty this morning, he spat on the ground, which is kind of fun to say. Jesus spat on the ground. He took the dirt and the spit, mixed it together, and made like a mud or a clay, and he put it on the man's eyes. What is Jesus doing here? Why is Jesus healing in this way? It is Jesus and the writers of Scripture reminding us that Jesus is the creator God. Because see, this is exactly how God created you and me. We read on the very first pages of Scripture that God takes the the order or the created things in the earth and he takes that which is chaotic and he creates it and he puts it into order. And the crowning masterpiece of his creation is taking the dust and breathing his breath into it and behold, man and woman made in the image of God. This is reminding us that Jesus is the creator. He created this man who was born blind, and he has the power to heal. Next, we see how Jesus restores, but also foretells. He restores because we are made to see. We're supposed to see. We're supposed to have two working legs. We're supposed to not get cancer. That's the way things are supposed to be. We are made to have perfect relationship with God and we're made for our earthly bodies not to fall apart. But because of sin entering the world, there's now entropy. Things are headed towards disorder and falling apart. But Jesus here restores this man, restores his eyes to the way they should work. But Jesus also foretells of a day that will come when those that do not receive their sight on this earth will see once again, or maybe even will see for the first time, when they are given a new body in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is foreshadowing that all one day will be perfectly healed. So Jesus is foretelling the kingdom come. He is saying the kingdom will come and the kingdom has come in me. As he restores, as he creates, as he heals, he is telling us about the kingdom come. And then he heals the man. Because of what we see Jesus do, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God sees, he cares, he hears our cries for help, and he is willing and able to intervene into our physical, embodied reality. So Jesus shows what he will do about suffering, but he also tells. Look back with me at verse 3 of chapter 9. Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's what Jesus wants to do in our suffering. Jesus wants to show how great he is, how glorious the Father is as we suffer or as we are delivered from suffering. If we want to pray for God's will when we or others are suffering, we can pray, God, may you be seen for who you really are in this situation. Whether it means immediate healing, which you're capable of doing, or whether it means bringing meaning and perseverance to what I'm going through right now. We can pray that the works of God might be displayed in our life or in those who are suffering 
That we know is the will of God. And Jesus tells us right here that there can be meaning in the suffering. There can be meaning as he heals in this earthly life. Before we close tonight, there is one more barrier to our understanding of suffering. I said that as we turn to the world, we find no answers. As we turn to religion and religious answers, we find insufficient answers to our suffering. We have seen what Jesus shows us about suffering, what he tells us about suffering, but there's one more barrier to our understanding of suffering, and it's sin. Sin makes us think we deserve suffering. Sin keeps us from seeing God clearly. Sin is the ultimate suffering that we have experienced. We live in a fallen world, and by our nature and by our choices and our parents' choices and their parents' choices, all the way back to our ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, we live in a world of chaos. We also live in a world of suffering. We live in a world of spiritual blindness, where we do not naturally see the things of God and see the kingdom of God. We are not born into the kingdom of God. And just like this man was born blind, we are born spiritually blind. And unless Jesus intercedes, we cannot see. We cannot see the Father. We cannot see the work of Jesus. We cannot see the kingdom now or the kingdom come. We can't see any good news. So we need Jesus to intervene. How do we know that Jesus cares about our suffering? How do we know that we can be helped with our sin? We look to Jesus and what he has done. Look with me at Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Praise be to God. Because what we deserve is that direct correlation between our sin and our suffering. We deserve to sin once or be born into sin and be separated from God forever ever and struggle with suffering in this life and in the life to come. That is what we deserve. But scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, the cross and resurrection of Jesus tells us that he does not deal with us according to our sins. That is mercy. God pours out his mercy on us. Verse 11 of Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. From the east to the west, that means they're gone forever. And they're never coming back. That's what Jesus does with our sin. And how has he done this? Through his own suffering. How do we know that God can intervene in our suffering? How can we find meaning in our suffering? How can the works of God be displayed in suffering? We may not be able to come up with all the answers and connect all the dots, but we have to know that Jesus suffered 
first. Jesus suffered first on the cross where he took our sin upon himself, though he did not deserve to die a sinner's death. He was perfectly righteous. He always did the will of the Father. Yet he died a sinner's death in our place. And on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In our suffering, we feel forsaken at times by God. God, do you see? Do you know? Do you know what's going on here? Do you care? Are you powerless to help me? But in that moment, Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we may be called children of God, so that we may be welcomed in to his kingdom, so that sinners like you and me, sufferers like you and me, can be invited into God's perfect kingdom. And we can have his indwelling spirit and experience the power of the kingdom right here, right now, because Jesus was forsaken for you and for me. Because of this, Jesus is offering you something today that no one and no thing in your life can offer. He is offering deliverance from your pain in this life and or in the life to come. And he offers us meaning amongst our pain, even during the pain, no matter how long it may last. And this gives us very good news. Turn back with me to John 9, verses 24 and 25. In the gospel, we find the answer to life's greatest question. And this man born blind is healed And here we hear the good news that he has to share. Verse 24, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This man says, I don't have all the answers to your questions. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. I see. This is the good news, and this is the testimony that we have to share. We don't have all the answers for suffering. We don't know who will be healed and who will not be healed. Our faith will never be strong enough. What we have to proclaim to a dying and suffering world is, I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus has restored me. Jesus has given me spiritual sight. Maybe even Jesus has given that physical healing, and now we have a story to share. I'd like to ask you to consider taking action on what you've heard here tonight. I want to encourage you to not suffer alone. Suffering is inevitable. It is either something you have been through, you are currently going through, or you will go through in the future. It's inevitable. So do not suffer alone. two steps. One is begin this relationship with the God who has saved you and have the promise of heaven and have the promise of his kingdom power and have this promise of spiritual sight now that you can only find in Jesus. 
Religion won't save you or answer all your questions. The world's answers, your own answers, will not answer all of the profound questions that you and I have around suffering or anything else. So ask God to give you spiritual life, spiritual eyes to see what Jesus has done for you. So first, ask God to save you. Second, ask him to heal you. Ask him to heal you. Ask him to heal those that are suffering. Ask him. You've probably heard it said that healing doesn't happen because our faith isn't strong enough. And I think that that is, for lack of a better term, hogwash. My faith is never strong enough for me or anyone else to be healed. But I will say that we need enough faith to ask. As you read the scriptures, as you read the words of Jesus, look at how many times he says, you do not have because you do not ask. Have you asked him to heal you physically? Have you asked him to save lives physically? Have you prayed for the suffering of others in your community or in your family? Specifically, physically, right here, right now. This story that we read here tonight is not a fable, but it's history. And it shows that God desires to intervene and God desires to see the kingdom come right here, right now, and we can see it happen in our time. Let's ask him to do it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for not just giving us trite answers to our suffering, but thank you for giving us yourself. Thank you for giving your only son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross on our behalf and experiencing great suffering on our behalf. God, I pray that those that are hearing these words tonight would turn and find life spiritual sight in you, Jesus, and that today would be the day of their salvation, and they would stop trying to go through suffering alone. God, I also ask that you would intervene in our physical reality and heal what has been broken, restore what has been torn, reconcile what seems to be torn apart. God, would you intervene, would you show how great and mighty you are by doing a healing work in our lives, in our relationships, in our minds, in our world? And would you use us to share the good news that once we were blind and now we see? God, I pray that we would be quick to pray. I pray that we would turn to you and not look to try to answer everything on our own or hunt and find for the sin when we see suffering, I pray that we would be people of prayer and people of great empathy and compassion as we see those around us suffering. God, we ask for your healing on those that currently are experiencing your suffering or have loved ones that are doing so. We ask for your healing. We ask that 
all those surrounding that suffering would see how great and mighty and caring and merciful you are. And we look forward to giving you great honor and praise for how you intervene in our lives. God, continue to speak to us as we go out of this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.